following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Hello, everybody. Um, I will be reading John chapter 20, uh, verses 24 through 29. As you might have guessed, it's about Jesus and Thomas. Um, But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Thank you, Kristen, and thank you, Stephanie and Michael. And um, Boy, today is a day where you can't get away with thinking that church is just like a service you go to once a week sometimes, or once a month, um, some of you. <laughs> Not that I would ever shame you about that. But in all seriousness, I'm really struck by the remarkable range of things that we are involved with as a community. And, and even if you didn't know about some of it, you've been part of it in an important way. And we're going to be hearing over the next few weeks about all kinds of things like that. And I'm really excited for what's coming up. By the way, uh, if you would like to donate toward the Empower Camp with the matching funds that Artisan has put up, the best way to do that is go to artisanchurch.com slash... Stephanie, (laughs) Um, because Stephanie is so inspiring and empowering that we put her name in the URL, Um, and it would be easy to remember, we thought. So artisanchurch.com slash Stephanie will take you right to a special donation page at Artisan, where if you make a donation, it'll be matched um, up to a certain amount, which I am forgetting what it is, but that's okay. So, um, I thought so. I just want to say it. (laughs) Sometimes I say things and I'm wrong and I wish I hadn't said them, but it is $1,500. Up to $1,500, Artisan is matching your donations, so um, go make them. Today, I have a few minutes here to conclude our entire series in the Gospel of John. Um, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, we started this in 2012. I see our friends Carolyn and Ryan in here. I think they probably lived in Rochester the last time we were in this series, 2017. Um, before this, this summer. And today's the last sermon in the whole series. Um, even though it's not the last bit of the Gospel of John, we moved the story of Thomas around so that I could do it last um, because I think it's a, actually a really great punctuation mark on this Gospel. And I think it just goes to show you how much you can do and accomplish if you do a little bit at a time, right? A little bit every day, um, whether you're learning to play piano or um, studying something or reading the Bible is way better than trying to do three hours one time and then repeat it because you're never going to, right? So a little bit at a time, this is my encouragement to you in the spiritual life. Do less stuff more often rather than more stuff less often. 
So, today's message is called incredulity, which is not a word that we hear very often. Um, a little bit later, I'm going to tell you where I first heard that word, but for now, I'll just give you the definition of the word incredulity, incred, incredulity, in case you've not heard it or can't pronounce it. Um, this is what the word means. It means the state of being unwilling or unable to believe something. Right? And we could think about, if you're a word nerd like me, you're probably already noticing um, that it looks similar to a word that's much more common, which is the word incredible. Um, the word incredible literally means unbelievable, as in something is not credible. Um, but we've um, awesomified this word, um, incredible, and now we use it about everything, like the blueberry muffin that I got from the donut shop with 9,000 locations was incredible, um, even though they've served a million of them this week. Right? Um, but incredulity means being unwilling or unable to believe something. And of course, it's attributed to Thomas um, today, the character who so famously refused to believe, he said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side. And so that posture of incredulity gets attached to him. It even becomes part of his name. You heard the song that I sang earlier. has a phrase, is titled with a phrase that you've heard before, Doubting Thomas. Right? In fact, sometimes in the Bible, you'll see Thomas, who was called Didymus. And you must think, oh, that's the Greek word for doubting. It's not actually. It's the word for twin because he was a twin. Um, but we only think of Thomas as the person who doubted. This is the only story that people generally know about Thomas. It's like, you know, when um, there was an actor who died this, this past week. I don't remember his name, but he's Polly Walnuts on The Sopranos. And like, that's the first sentence in his obituary, right? The first sentence in Thomas's obituary, if any of us were to write it, would be that he doubted uh, until he saw, uh, he refused to believe until he saw. I think that most of us, whether you have a lot of religious background or not, if you know of the character of Thomas and you were asked, Thomas, in the Bible, thumbs up or thumbs down, most of us would go thumbs down. That guy was doubting Thomas, not somebody to be emulated. I mean, even Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. But what I want to do in the brief time that I have is to present a different way of thinking about Thomas. Because like so many other characters in the Bible, he's a real human being. His humanity comes right through, right off the page. And I think that in that humanity, we, some of us, myself definitely included, and maybe a lot of you as well, can find some solidarity and some hope. And frankly, I'll just start out by saying this. I don't think it's all that unusual that he should have demanded to see the holes in Jesus' hand and Jesus' side. He gets a very bad rap and a nickname for it, but it doesn't seem all that unreasonable to me. In fact, instead of calling him Doubting Thomas, for today I'm going to call him um, Reasonable Thomas. <laughs> because Thomas, after all, only wanted to have the same exact experience that the other disciples had already had. Right? If we were to read back in the passage, right before this one is the story of Jesus' first appearance to this group of disciples when Thomas is not in the room, and what do they all get to do? It says it right there in verse 20. They get to put their fingers in the holes in his hands, and they get to touch the hole in his side that was pierced by the sword, or the spear, rather, of the centurion. They all got to do it. I'm sure they lined right up, wouldn't you? All Thomas wanted 
was to say, was to have the same experience that they had probably told him about 15 times. I know I would. He wouldn't believe it. Put my finger right through his hand. I know. And I'm not going to believe that he's alive until I get to do it too. That seems reasonable to me. Reasonable, Thomas. He eventually did get to do it, but how long did it take? A week. Another translation says eight days, which I think feels like even longer than a week. (laughs) I'm not great at math, but... Eight days. What was going on in this time? How many times do you think the disciples told this story again? How many times do you think he walked in on them, they were talking about the whole thing and the fingers and the side, and they're like, oh, here comes Thomas. You want some fish? (laughs) And what about those friends? Those friends were in the room when Jesus finally appeared to Thomas. I wonder what they were thinking in that moment. What were they thinking about Thomas? Were they glad for him? What were they thinking about themselves? We've been believing for a whole week, Thomas. It's nice that you can finally join the party. By the way, this is another uh, Bible reading tip. Imagine what's, what characters are present who aren't described in the narrative of the story, because there's always other, almost always other people there. Right? These people had, had, had been having an entirely separate experience of the world for a whole week by the time Jesus appeared to Thomas. Speaking of which, let's talk for a minute about what Jesus said to Thomas, how he treated Thomas. Right? Because when he says, did you believe because you see me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. I wonder how that comes across to you when you read that, or when you hear that read out loud. I mean, those of us who call ourselves Christians or believers of some sort are all in that category. So I guess one thing we might think is, hey, we're, we're, we're the blessed ones. We're the ones who believed without seeing a physical Jesus. I think. I mean, unless some of you are really holding out on me, <laughs> I'm not aware of anybody who has seen Jesus in person. Does it feel like a criticism of Thomas? Like it would have been better if you could have just believed, but I guess I'll accommodate you. In which case, if you're a person who struggles with belief yourself, that might feel like a criticism of you too. As a person who has had a fairly well-documented experience of doubting my own faith, it has sometimes felt like a criticism of me, like a sting. Like I'm not fully blessed if I have some pretty serious questions about some of the stuff we say in that creed, for example. But I've actually come around on this story over the years. I think now... I don't think anymore that Jesus was trying to denigrate Thomas with what he was saying, right? After all, like I said, he was, he was no worse than all of his friends. All he wanted to do was have the same experience they had. And I've chosen in my later years, let's, let's, they're still my early years, let's hope. Um, but in my recent years, I should say, I have chosen to think rather that this uh, thing that Jesus said is, is less about criticizing Thomas and more about elevating those who have the great gift of faith without proof, without the benefit of an in-person examination of the risen Lord. 
Most important of all, Jesus did not reject Thomas. And I am really grateful for a character in the Bible who doubted right out loud. Wasn't shy about it. He put it on his Instagram story and everything. (laughs) Not going to believe. Hashtag. And yet was not rejected. I'm very, very glad for an example of a person in the scriptures, our sacred holy book, who was explicit about his refusal to believe and yet was not rejected by Jesus. So I've had this shift over the years. And let me tell you, um, part of what helped me come to this new understanding of what Jesus says to Thomas in that moment, specifically about how he responds to Thomas's doubts, it was actually from a painting, and I'm going to show it to you now. I've, I've put it in the slides. I'm going to ask this, the um, Techloft people to show us. This is a painting by Caravaggio from around 1602. It's called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. And now you know where I first encountered that word, incredulity. So let me describe this painting for those who may be listening without seeing it. Jesus is standing there with three uh, men around him. He has his cloak held open with one hand while Thomas puts his finger in the hole that had been caused by the spear of the Roman centurion during the crucifixion. And Thomas's eyes are wide open and his, he's old enough that his eyebrow, his forehead does this wrinkly thing that mine does because his, he is, well, he's like incredulous. He can't believe what he's seeing. Before he was refusing to believe and now he just can't believe it that he's seeing it. You can tell in the look on his face. And Peter and John, we think it's Peter and John. We've had a lot of encounters with Peter and John in this gospel. They are looking on, somehow managing to appear both smug that they've already seen this spectacle and grateful for a chance to prove to themselves that they didn't imagine it. But the part of the painting that stands out for me the most is Jesus' left hand. Do you see what it's doing? It's holding Thomas's hand, the one that's pointing and touching the hole in his side. And not only holding it, it looks to me like he's actually pulling Thomas's hand closer into the wound in his body, which seems like such a tender and gentle and welcoming thing for Jesus to do, not only to accommodate Thomas and to allow him and provide him the proof that he had demanded, but actually to help him access it. He pulls his hand right in there. And I know that's maybe somewhat an artistic interpretation on Caravaggio's part. Maybe it's an interpretation that I'm making looking at the painting that Caravaggio did and that wasn't the artistic intent. But I think it's all justified. In fact, remember what Jesus said to Thomas before he said the thing that tends to get quoted like it would have been better if you'd believed without seeing, what he says to him, Thomas, put your finger here, right? If, if I was to say to you, put your finger here, it's, it's like right here, He's drawing Thomas in. He says, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. This painting gives a visual expression of something that I personally experienced when I went through the deepest season, uh, the deepest parts of my season of doubt, because I'll tell you this, when pretty much everything in me was trying to pull away from Jesus, 
I found that Jesus was not willing to let go of me. And so I didn't let go of him. I did let go of a lot of things during that season. I will never be the same. But Jesus never let go of me. I kind of asked him to. He wasn't interested. It's, it's really my great and very sacred privilege as a pastor to talk to people all the time who are doubting their faith. When you're a pastor who publicly goes through a season of doubt, it seems like that opens the door for people to talk to you about their own, which I'm so grateful for, although I certainly wouldn't have chosen it. My only, my only I think, useful advice to people who are going through doubt is not to fight it too hard because you cannot force yourself to believe, and you wouldn't want to. You cannot force yourself to accept something intellectually that you are not ready to accept. And there's really no way to end your doubts forever that I have found, because they still creep up. This is what I would say. This is the thing that you might remember today. If you're a person who's struggling with faith, who's a doubter, who resonates with Thomas. Doubt is a chronic condition. There is no cure. You are likely to live with it for the rest of your life. Some of you have chronic illnesses. I have a a chronic illness myself. And I wish that it would just go away, but it doesn't. And the same is true of doubt. It's a chronic condition, but the good news is that it's not a terminal diagnosis. You can live a long and full and fruitful life of faith as a person who has the chronic condition of skepticism, of doubt. And don't ever let anybody tell you that your faith is less valuable because you have doubts. If you had no doubts at all ever, that would not be called faith. That would be called certainty, which is something that we idolize in the church inappropriately. Doubt is a chronic condition, but it's not a terminal diagnosis. Let me say that for a third time so that you can take it home with you today. Doubt is a chronic condition, but it's not a terminal diagnosis. It occurs to me that Thomas was marked with the wounds of this event himself. Just as Jesus bore the wounds of his crucifixion even after his resurrection, Thomas undoubtedly bore the wounds of his doubt even after his belief. It's certainly the only part of his life that's hanging in a museum, in an art gallery. But it was those wounds in Jesus' side that led Thomas to his belief. And so if the wounds had not been healed, Thomas might have been led to believe that he was imagining a ghost or something. And I have to imagine that the wounds of Thomas's doubt that he bore with him for the rest of his life actually went on to help him lead others to belief in the risen Christ. And so I'll ask you this. What scars or wounds has your unbelief left you with? 
What are the parts of you that feel like they'll never be the same again? And maybe you hate that. Maybe you so desperately wish that it would just heal over and you'd never have to think of it again. I'm going to encourage you not to wish that so hard if you can help it. And instead to remember that the wounds on Jesus' body were what led Thomas to belief and the wounds of Thomas's doubt led him to become a successful evangelist for a different group of people. And so maybe you will be an ex- a, a successful bearer of the good news of Christ to those who can't hear it from someone else who's never had the problems that you have. And lastly, this, remember the words of Jesus. It's the first thing out of his mouth when he appeared in that room with all the disciples except Thomas. What's the first thing he said to them? Peace be with you. And the first thing out of his mouth when he appeared again a week later when Thomas was in the room was the same thing. Peace be with you. Jesus is always about the peace be with you. You ever get sick of doing the passing of the peace? Saying peace be with you over and over and over again? It's because Jesus says it all the time. We actually had to omit it today. There's so many other things going on. (laughs) So in your doubts, my friends, peace be with you. And in your Fears, peace be with you. And in your joy, peace be with you. And in your pain, peace be with you. In times of plenty, peace be with you. And in times of want, peace be with you. If you are doubting today, peace be with you. Jesus said, do not be afraid, little flock. It is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Peace be with you. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.